If you were able to walk into a room confident that you would be well-received, seen, heard, and appreciated by others, and all it took was a few changes in how you navigate your everyday relationships, would you be willing to make those changes? It is possible to be both fully authentic and to experience the best relationships of your life. Now, here's the host of Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert, Michaela Gaffin-Stone. Hello and welcome to Navigating Complicated Relationships. Today we're talking about dyslexia, which I'm sure you've heard of, people generally have, and dyscalculia. That might be new to you. And if it is, please do stay tuned because this is something that's very interesting to know and I'm sure you know somebody with it. So I'm Michaela Gaffinstone. I'm a board certified behavior analyst. I also have dyscalculia. So I'm going to be bringing my stories into this to illustrate for you what this looks like. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. I am not diagnosing anybody with this information. I'm giving you an idea of what you're looking at when you meet somebody who has dyslexia or dyscalculia. It's particularly important when they're kids, right? So the question to ask yourself is, does your child try all sorts of behavior tricks to avoid reading or maybe working with numbers? Right around the time when other kids are getting into it and getting on with it, are yours trying to avoid those subjects? Are they, you know, are, are they sort of avoiding tests? Like, yes, you want to avoid tests, but do they get stomach ache? Do they get all kinds of big issues that um, mean they can't even go to school today? We're going to look at some behaviors for you to notice and pay attention to. Dyslexia and dyscalculia are both considered to be learning disabilities or disorders. However you like to put it, it comes under the big umbrella of neurodivergence, right? The brain isn't quite wired the same as Joe Average, whoever Joe Average is. I haven't met Joe Average yet. Um, both of these conditions require specific teaching skills for your child to succeed. The regular classroom stuff isn't going to work. The other thing that you need to know for the person with dyslexia or dyscalculia is they really need some compassion, some understanding, and a whole lot of patience. Because I can tell you, if it's not there, it's just not there. And for the child in school, they can often be mislabeled as lazy or inattentive. And ADHD is often, it marches along with dyslexia, for example. It doesn't mean that if you have one, you get the other, no. But there is a fairly high rate of coincidence, but they coincide, comorbidity, however you want to put it. But the one doesn't necessarily mean you have the other. However, it can look with dyslexia like, or dyscalculia for that matter, when the subject is so difficult to follow along, it can look like the child's not paying attention, like they, they have a focus issue to get where I'm going with this. Well, this kid needs medication in order to focus. Well, that's a bit like putting a Band-Aid on your toe when your arm just dropped off. It really isn't going to do anything useful, right? It'll sit there, but it's not very useful. Dyscalculia is understudied, largely unknown. And by the end of this episode, I hope that you are going to know 
a lot more about it than you're starting with and that you'll have some tools and tips on how to help your child at home, at school. You know, hang, hang with me. Let's see what we have in this episode today. So I'm going to start with dyslexia because that's the one most people know. And the, the person with dyslexia, their, their intelligence is not affected by dyslexia, right? It could be, a person can have normal intelligence, superior intelligence. There can be other conditions that lower the intelligence. It's not a factor. The two things don't go together. What's affected is the part of the brain that's responsible for processing reading and to a degree language. Now, dyslexia tends to run in families and it has been uh, linked to certain genes that are responsible for processing reading and language, but it's not automatically genetic. And just for interest's sake, not for a child particularly, but for the adult who becomes dyslexic, it can occur with traumatic brain injury, it can occur with stroke, dementia. And if you think of it, all these things have an impact on the brain and it will alter how the brain operates, how well it's functioning, and it can affect different parts of the brain. So if the area that works with language is affected, then that person could become dyslexic. And that would be very um, difficult for somebody who didn't start off that way to suddenly handle all these differences. Now, the problem with dyslexia is that the child can develop a low self-esteem. They can develop behavior problems because behavior is communication, right? I mentioned this a lot and, and some people have said to me, oh, that's a cliche. Okay, work with me here. Behavior is in fact communication. If you don't have the language to express what's going on for you, you can behave what's going on for you. So the person who's unhappy, they might not know exactly why they're angry about something, for example, or why they're unhappy about something. But they can certainly show you by, you know, stubbing their toe, kicking the door or yelling or, you know, some other behavior. It will show itself even if they don't have the words to cover exactly what's happening. So this child is very prone to anxiety. And wouldn't you be? You know, if, if you're trying to read things, you're trying to make sense of this book that the teacher wants you to read or more difficult, you're trying to summarize something. That's very difficult for somebody with dyslexia to summarize a story. So if that's their homework, you've just given them something of a nightmare. And yeah, that's going to build anxiety. Sure it is, particularly if that child doesn't feel supported. So finding out early that your child has dyslexia, it's very possible. There are lots of tests out there. There are lots of things to look for. And there are special tutors for dyslexia. There's all kinds of ways that you can approach dyslexia. It does not have to be a stumbling block in school. It does not have to be a big problem. But if it's not treated, if the child doesn't feel supported and understood, then anxiety is going to skyrocket particularly if they're in a school that's not, not very tolerant and not very um, aware of dyslexia and what that looks like. All of those things I've mentioned, the low self-esteem, the behavior issues, anxiety, those together and you have a ball of aggression coming up. Right. 
that's what you can be dealing with. And it's it's a sort of cover, if you will, for feeling inadequate, for feeling like they're less than the other kids, because that's kind of the impression they get, right? It's not true, but it's the impression that that child gets. Then you can end up with social withdrawal from parents, from friends, teachers. And I have a story for you at this point of a child that I worked with. Um, this was a teen and the teen family had gone through every kind of therapy they could find. The school had done interventions. They had exhausted all the avenues when I was asked to work with them. Now, I mention all of that because this is not a task I would have taken on if they had other avenues, such as therapy. They'd used everything, including medication. They'd gone the whole route. This child had been diagnosed with autism, dyslexia, and extremely high anxiety and was having terrible problems in school, but had also started cutting. Now, cutting is a coping mechanism for levels of pain and anxiety that I can't describe to you. But just think, if the pain of cutting yourself is a response to a cure for, if you will, that level of pain and anxiety, then you have somebody who's really dealing with a lot. So, I did work with this family and we really worked on what the causes of the anxiety were rather than taking away the tools that he used because um, taking away the tools that someone uses to cut with can lead them to find more problematic tools. So that wasn't something I wanted to do. I am not prescribing this for anybody. I do not recommend that you go this route at all without very careful supervision. So go see a doctor if you're looking at this kind of problem. Do not take my word for this. This is my experience. This is what I've done. I am not prescribing. So that is absolutely a disclaimer there. However, this child was also socially withdrawn and a great many things. A year later, after we'd worked together, he's social, doing really well, and in an alternative schooling environment that works way better than the traditional school and they are geared for people with dyslexia and once all of those systems kicked in the anxiety kind of got to a more manageable level so it's really key don't underestimate what dyslexia can do to your child's self-esteem it can be huge and then when the person with dyslexia reaches adulthood well depending on what they've had for support during the school years, they might not reach their full potential as adults. Educational, socioeconomic impacts, you know, all of these things can come forward and you end up with a genius working at a fast food joint. And that can be, you know, okay, okay it's a job, yes, but I'm not even going to look at what's worthwhile and what isn't, but would you call that reaching full potential? I would not think it's really important to figure out what you can do. Now, I asked someone with, with dyslexia recently, how would you describe the effect of dyslexia on who you are and, and how you show up in life? And a translated quote, because the answer was in Dutch, was, it gives me creativity and the ability to see images in my head and walk around it. It makes me a nonlinear thinker. Think outside the box. And this person has learned to embrace 
the gifts that dyslexia brings with it. Because when you have an area that's not functioning the way you expect it to, you're going to have other areas that do so much better. So think of the person who can't see and hearing is likely to be absolutely so acute that they can hear things that, you know, you, you would never hear. So that's the kind of thing that can happen. Other areas of the brain are going to kick in and say, hey, let's make this rock. So I'm going to go into what the signs can look like and typical signs, but don't take the things I'm telling you as that's it. This kid needs help. These are things that what I want you to look at is, do you need to pay more attention here? Is there some tests that you want to do? There are tests you can do at home for dyslexia. Do you want to just look into that? Let's not pathologize a child having different rates of learning. Some kids are going to be a little slower to pick up than others, and that's perfectly fine. They'll get there in the end. But a child who's endlessly struggling, who feels probably physical pain when they try and do this stuff, that's the child that you really need to look at and say, hmm, what are we doing here and how can I help? What, what are the signs and symptoms of a child with dyslexia? So I'm going to get into that after the break, and that's coming up in just a couple of minutes. I want to remind you that you can contact me anytime. I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram, pretty much in that order of difference. You can message me and I will respond. Just look up Michaela Gaffinstone and there I am. Or you can email me at mickey at gaffinstone.com, M-I-K-K-I at gaffinstone.com. My website is still available. I'm rebranding and that's going to change soon. But I also have a parenting package available called Parenting Reimagined. And that's coaching from a different perspective. And this can include things like working with a child with dyslexia and dyscalculia. I'm not a tutor. I'm going to help you figure out what you need and how to get that, where to get that, what that looks like, where your areas of control are. And I think all of those things are so important to know. So the break is coming up. Don't go away. We're going to get into signs of what dyslexia looks like. And after that, we'll get into dyscalculia. So hang in there with me. You're here on the Inspired Choices Network listening to Michaela Gaffin-Stone on Navigating Complicated Relationships. See you in a minute. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Michaela Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. 
Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to mickey at gaffinstone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're still here. And I really hope that by now, if you've been listening to me, you're used to knowing that you need a notepad, a pen or a pencil or a computer, something to take notes on, unless, of course, you're driving, in which case, please don't try and do all of that at once. I'm going to go now into some of the signs that you can look for for dyslexia before we leap into the subject of dyscalculia, which is near and dear to my heart as I have dyscalculia. Now, dyslexia and dyscalculia are learning disabilities, and they require different teaching strategies from the norm in school, a different approach. And I would love for teachers to be taught that there are many ways to teach one thing and how they can incorporate that into the classroom. Because there's going to be kids with dyslexia in a big classroom. That's really likely to happen. So let's dive in to some of the signs. Early signs of dyslexia can be a child who's late to talk. Okay, that can also occur in autism. It can occur in a few other things. So bear in mind, these signs can be signs of other things too. Just pay attention to them because it could be a sign of an issue. It's up to you to figure out which one it is so that you can you know, follow that track. Learning new words slowly. Try swearing and see how fast they learn. That tends to be really quick. Um, problems forming words correctly. They might reverse the sounds in words or confuse words that sound alike. Um, problems remembering or naming letters, numbers, but we're gonna get more into that later. Uh, and colors. I knew one child who everything he looked at was Lelo. Yeah, it was all yellow. Now, we were never sure, was he just like not wanting to do the activity or was this actually, he didn't know so everything was Lelo. You know, this is the kind of thing where you can look at that and say, huh, how long is this child keeping this behavior up? Is it, do they ever progress from that? If they don't, you might want to investigate what that means. Learning nursery rhymes or um, playing rhyming games can be very difficult for this child because it just doesn't follow a pattern that they recognize. So remember, though, that when one part of the brain is less functional, another part will step up. So is this child particularly creative? That's very likely to show up. And for the school age child, they, they're likely to read below the expected rate age, right? Processing time for information is going to be a factor. Now, the, the teen that I mentioned earlier on had processing time requirements. Now, what I mean by that is I tell you something, you're going to make a note. I tell you something and you're going to respond. But if somebody needs some processing time, that's not going to work that way. You need to give them some seconds or maybe a minute to respond. And it might not sound like much, but it's not what we're used to. Even a six-second pause can feel like an eternity. And if you've got somebody around you who doesn't like silence, then it's very difficult for the person with dyslexia to get the processing time that they need, and that's going to be stressful. 
Now, the, there can also be signs of difficulty in finding the right word or forming access to questions. Now, everybody has difficulty finding the right word at some time. So again, please don't pathologize something that's not a big deal. But if this is a common event, if this happens all the time, or they consistently use the words incorrectly, it's something to look at. Then another thing that can show up is problem with recall of sequences. So if you're building sentences, if you're at that stage, that can be difficult for them to know because it just doesn't, you know, if you're looking at a sentence, it can look right. But if you have dyslexia, there is no looking right. It, it just, you know, it's just there. So the person with dyslexia might not see if they're reading or hear, if you're talking to them, the similarities and differences in letters and words. Now that's like PMB or, you know, there's all kinds of tests for this and you can look online to see specifically the differences in letters and words and follow through with that for yourself. And you know, if you are going to test your child, it'd be kind of fun to test yourself too, if you can find one for older people, just to see not if you have dyslexia so much, but how many answers do you get incorrectly even though you don't have dyslexia? Again, I want to really tread that line of let's not pathologize where it doesn't need to be. Okay? It doesn't need to be a problem if it's not a problem. Um, sounding out the pronunciation of a new word can be very challenging for somebody with dyslexia and obviously difficulty in spelling. That can be quite the nightmare. And they take a very long time read or write something. So, you know, homework is going to take extra long if they have to write. This may be different using a computer, but it very much depends on there are different colored screens you can use to help with that. But there are ways to speed that up, but typically avoiding reading tests because it takes forever can be a feature. Um, Teens and adults, the way that this can show up is difficulty in reading, including reading out loud. Reading is a slow, labor-intensive process that nobody particularly enjoys. Uh, spelling remains a problem. Avoiding reading is, is a sign. It's not the sign, and it doesn't automatically mean dyslexia, but it's a sign. It's something to look at. And mispronouncing words and names. Now, my stepdad was famous for this, and he did have dyslexia, um, but he, he would refer to the prostate as prostrate, for example. How many people do that? Uh, many. And he could never remember people's names. So everybody, male or female, were called Lovey. Hello, Lovey. How are you doing, Lovey? You know, this was his way of getting around the dyslexia. And if he needed something reading, he would hand it to my mom and just say, here, read that, tell me what it says. And that was his way of dealing with it. Summarizing a story, as I mentioned earlier, can be a big problem. It just, it's hard to get all the pieces in there. Learning new languages can be really hard. Well, you can imagine that, right? You've got the, the different grammar rules. You've got sometimes different alphabets, like just new languages would be very difficult. And you know those wonderful math word problems where Josie goes to the store and buys 50 oranges and 10 bananas and, you know, yada, yada. But the word, the math word problems. I've never really understood why they do those, but I do have this calculator. This can also be a problem for somebody with dyslexia. So 
there are similarities and some significant differences between having dyslexia and what ADHD looks like. Now, I read up on dyslexia before coming to do this show today, and I read some sources that said dyslexia can lead to ADHD, and I saw many more sources that said, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so I'm going to say that there is a correlation, not a causation, meaning they are side by side sometimes, but the one doesn't cause the other. So that's that's important to know. You know, they're, they're separate. They're not part of the same thing. People with dyslexia are often really good at problem solving. I am about to give you a whole bunch of things that they're good at. So pay attention to this too, because these are things you can foster and develop and really help and acknowledge, right? Problem solving, awesome. Creative, very observant, high levels of empathy. And you know what high levels of empathy means? It means they're very sensitive and they're very aware. So if somebody's giving them a hard time and thinks they don't notice because they're not smart, yeah, they notice. Yeah, they, they get it big time. Those high levels of empathy can be as much a burden as a blessing. Big picture thinkers, really good at that. Think of Richard Branson, who is dyslexic. Now that guy, he's got three-dimensional thinking, big picture thinking, great at making connections, strong narrative reason, reasoning, all of that describes Richard Branson. And all of that are elements of success people with dyslexia can have. Puzzle solving, really strong visual memory, brilliant spatial reasoning. And I mentioned earlier, great at connecting with others because you're going to really focus on your verbal communication and on your non um, nonverbal communication, your body language, because you don't have the written form to, to play with, right? So that's something that somebody with dyslexia is likely to really be very good at. We have a few more uh, famous people with dyslexia. Alexander Graham Bell was thought to be dyslexic. Albert Einstein, I mean, he also had Asperger's. Bill Gates, likewise. Thomas Edison, who was considered to have ADHD as well as dyslexia, and Louis Pasteur, who had dysgraphia, which means his writing was a problem as well as his reading. I mean, he, he really had some challenges, and yet look at what he achieved. So that's dyslexia in a nutshell for today, and now I'm going to move very smoothly into dyscalculia and a little bit of math anxiety because sometimes the one can be mistaken for the other, and both affect how kids can do math. So I'm going to start with that. And I hope you keep making notes, note any questions, because I'd love for you to ask them of me at some point. So let's go into math anxiety, because that's fairly brief. Math anxiety is an intense feeling, a lot of worry, and it's, it's worry about the process. Your quest, the child's questioning their abilities, even though they can do it. And it's, it's a bit like the comparison I'm going to give you is if you have dyscalculia, it's like hiking up a mountain with a broken leg and not being able to climb the peak. Then math anxiety is like hiking up the same mountain with constant worry about what might happen if you try to climb the peak. Both of them can stop you from getting to that peak. 
It is a very different process. The one is a learning disability that requires help. The other one is an anxiety issue that requires a very different type of help and a, a very specific anxiety approach, right? To, to reduce the anxiety about the math, find out where that came from and how can it be reduced? Sometimes that's environmental. So math anxiety, it can lead to, you know, avoiding class when there's tests coming up, but for somebody with dyscalculia, they'll avoid the class, especially when tests are coming up, but not only when, right? There is a subtle difference there sometimes for somebody with math anxiety, which is just, it's worry. It's a lot of worry about the process. And someone with dyscalculia who just can't do it. And it doesn't matter how many times you yell at them. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them that they they just have to do this. It's really easy. I would argue that if you don't have that part of your brain wired for this, then it is not easy. It's not even possible. If you're caught early enough with dyscalculia, there are ways to help somebody with that. But it's generally diagnosed between the age of six and nine. These days, back when I was at school, it wasn't diagnosed. You were just lazy or stupid or both. So, you know, if, if your child's having difficulty with numbers, let's have a look after the break and see what exactly that could look like. Don't go away. You're listening to Michaela Gaffin-Stone on the Inspired Choices Network. And this is Navigating Very Difficult Conversations and Relationships. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Michaela Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to mickey at gaffinstone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here listening to me, Michaela Gaffin-Stone, and we're talking about dyslexia and dyscalculia today. Most of you will have heard of dyslexia and some of you may have it. Dyscalculia, most of you probably haven't heard of it and some of you may have it. So this is something, if math has always been an absolute nightmare for you and it doesn't matter, you just can't do it. It doesn't matter who teaches you or how or why it's not there, then this might be something you wanna investigate. 
Now, I did my degrees. I have four of them. I did my degrees later in life. I didn't do them straight after school. That wasn't an option for me. But when I went to school to do my degrees, I, of course, had to have math. That was one of the subjects that you can't avoid. So I opted for statistics because that was the most likely thing that I could get through with my dyscalculia. And I had a brilliant statistics teacher recommended to me by my husband. Now, the stats teacher, wonderful man, so patient, and just explained to him what my problem was. And he really did his best. And my husband, who is also brilliant at math, the stuff in his head that I, I have no idea how he figures that out. But the two of them worked tirelessly to get me into a place where I could do the, the final exam for math. And they, they prepped me right up to the last moment. I ran in there and did the test and I got it. But if you'd asked me half an hour later, I couldn't have done it again. I could just hang on to the formulas long enough to get through. And only with the help of two brilliant people could I do that. So it really is a mountain to try and climb with a broken leg. Yeah, it feels that way. It really does. Now, the uh, comparison of dyscalculia and math anxiety, I think, is uh, significant to do. And, you know, the parent who's trying to learn new math probably experiences math anxiety, even though they don't have a problem with math, right? So you can understand that feeling of nervousness about the subject. You just don't feel secure in it, even if you're good at it. But this calculia is, is a whole other ball game. And it's not just dyslexia with numbers. I used to call it that so that people would get some idea of what I was saying, but it's much more than that because not only is it hard to do math, it's hard to do associated tasks. I was saying before the show started that if you took me to the end of the street and turned me around three times, I'm going to be completely lost. And it sounds funny, but it's actually true. And there's a story to illustrate this so beautifully. I was living in Belgium. My kids were little and I'd gone to visit a friend and I'd followed her, my car behind her car, all the way to where she lived. So that was fine. And this is before GPS, okay? And don't give me a map. <laughs> Reading maps is not my forte either. Um, it was before GPS. So we got there, we had a good time. And then she said, okay, bye, you know, see you again. And I realized, oh, I have to get home. Oh no. And I got in the car. I was so nervous. I had no idea where I was going. I had no sense of direction, no clue. This six-year-old voice behind me said, don't worry, mom, I know how to get us home. And I thought, well, I have no clue. So I'm going to follow what he says. And this six-year-old directed me from one part of Belgium to another. And not only did he get us home, but he got us home faster than the way I was trying to find. So my reliance on him was 100% though. I had no clue where I was. And that's the sort of lost part of having this uh, dyscalculia. I always said dyslexia. Literally, it's like being put on a new planet. You have no idea. So I'm used to being lost, which means if I'm driving, I'm going to have a full gas tank because I never know where I'm going to end up. Now, GPS has made that much less of a problem. But if the GPS goes down, it's an issue. 
And there was one time when we were living in Maine and I was trying to come back from university and there was a train track I had to cross. The train had broken down on the train track. Oh man, the, dis the, the GPS wanted me to go that way. So I kept trying to get far enough away so it would give me a new route and it wouldn't do it. I had to phone my husband and have him talk me through how to get to a different route. And he was asking me really difficult questions like, where are you? I don't know. You know, what, what are you looking at? Buildings. <laughs> it, it took a while. I don't need to go into the whole detail, but it's kind of legendary. And he was so patient. He was so good. So doing poorly on math tests, doing poorly on math tests, those kind of things can really be feature. And it it's it sounds funny and it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. Um the person with dyscalculia is going to spend a very long time on their math homework. And you think, well, you spent three hours on that. That's going to be good. It's probably really not. Because it's like me saying to you, if you're not Mandarin speaker and you haven't learned to read and write Mandarin, it's like me giving you a sheet of homework and saying, here, write me a story in Mandarin, right? How well is that going to go? It's not going to look like anything that somebody who reads Mandarin would be able to read because you don't get it, right? That's how dyscalculia works for math. And anxiety, yeah, absolutely. There's anxiety there as well. It's just that it's as well, right? It's not only. So difficulty in understanding numbers, I think we've thrashed that one out, but there's also difficulty in understanding numbers as quantities recognizing the magnitude of less and more, and this will particularly show up when uh, a child is young. Trouble handling money and finances. I'm not even gonna get into that. <laughs> Let, let's just say it's not my skill set, um, and I wouldn't make a particularly good accountant at all. Um, and I don't know that you'd find anybody with dyscalculia as an accountant, right? Now, the funny part is graphs and charts are difficult for people with dys dyscalculia. And I'm a board certified behavior analyst, which means all our information is in graphs and charts. That takes me a lot of work. But when I've done enough repetition, it's fine, I can do it. But it wasn't the easy no brainer that everybody assumed it would be. And a, a big feature that you can notice for kids is delay in learning to count and counting on their fingers, and counting on fingers way past the age where you would expect it. Now, this is crucial because if you don't get work, extra work with this child at this point where they're still counting on their fingers, they're going to miss a lot of foundational maths. And if you don't have the concepts, if you don't have the math understanding at that very basic level, then the rest doesn't make sense. You can't build on it. So when you hit high school and you've got things like algebra, I don't know if they still do it, but good Lord, why did anybody invent that thing? You know, algebra and, and all those other math types that my brain's refusing to acknowledge right now, those, you, you have nothing to work from for those. There's no foundation if you're still counting on your fingers. You can't do algebra on your fingers. Trust me, I've tried. It doesn't work. So the, this is a sign, you know, if your kid's still doing this, this is a sign that um, you may want to have a, a look into whether or not they have dyscalculia. 
losing track when counting. Now, could that be ADHD? It could, but it could also be dyscalculia. If you've got these other signs going on, then, you know, I invite you to really have a look at that and see how many features of the things I've said so far are going to show up. How, how many things there are, are in, present that's not really ADHD, but it is dyscalculia. Look for those. Now, I have a list of things that people with dyscalculia are good at, and you'll notice that many of these overlap with dyslexia. And the reason for that is, as I mentioned earlier, when one part of your brain just isn't doing the thing that people expect it to, that you expect it to, other parts will pick up and overcompensate, if you will. I don't know if overcompensate's the best word, but it will certainly um, show up strongly. So for people with dyscalculia, very good at innovative problem solving, troubleshooting, creative, again, just like somebody with um, dyslexia is, intuitive, and that would be me. If you've heard my human design episodes, then a lot of intuitive, uh, intuitive interpretation comes in with human design. And I just, I do that. I don't think about it. It's not an effort. It's just there. It's what I do. Lateral thinking. People who know me kind of know me for my lateral thinking. I'm definitely not a linear, straightforward thinker. Um, people with dyscalculia can be stronger in art, music, which is interesting because music does tend to ally with math. But this might be somebody who is self-taught. Maybe they read music, but maybe they don't. Maybe they can play their instruments even without that. Design, fashion designers and so on. Now, this is interesting. I found that architecture and engineering also came up as things that people with dyscalculia can be really good at. Now, I don't know about you, but I always thought there was a lot of math in those. So I'm kind of curious about how that works. And I don't have an answer for you on that. So if that's a question for you as well, let me know and maybe I can investigate that. If it's not a question for you, then maybe I won't. So let me know. I like to be guided what, by what people are interested in so that these podcast episodes can be relevant. So help me make it relevant by letting me know what you're interested in. That would be really useful. The person with dyscalculia is also really good at seeing the big picture and strategic thinking and definitely a holistic approach. Now, I don't know, but if you've been following my podcast so far and you've heard that I bring human design and behavior change science together and use them as a continuum, then I would call that a holistic approach. And there's a lot of strategic thinking there because human design, when you're looking, and I'll go into this a little bit more after the break, but when you're using human design and you're looking at where your strengths are, you have to maximize them and so on. You can cut a lot of time out of the coaching journey. For example, if you're here and you want to get, you know, you're at point A, but you'd like to get to F, well, you can spend an awful lot of time on ABC while you figure out what that looks like. With human design, that's figured out really quickly. And you can get onto the rest of the journey, bringing in behavior change science to tweak what you're doing that you don't want to keep doing. So that's how I use it. And that's definitely a bigger picture. It's strategic thinking 
and it's a holistic approach. So then somebody with dyscalculia is going to leave, need a lot of support. They're going to need understanding and they're going to need to not hear how stupid they are. Because I assure you, if you keep being laughed at every time you make a colossal mess up with your math, it makes you want to not do it. And it makes you find ways to avoid doing one thing. So that keeps a person limited. I think you can you can see that it would, right? So we have yet another break coming up. Holy smokes, I don't know where, where the time is going. And I'd like you to stay with me. If you have any questions, jump into chat and ask them or message them to me. I'm very responsive to that. And I will see you in just a minute for a sort of wrap up of dyslexia and dyscalculia. What if your relationships could be a source of delight instead of a source of struggle? In a world where human interactions are anything but straightforward, tuning in to Navigating Complicated Relationships with behavior expert Michaela Gaffin-Stone will offer you insights, tools, and a whole new level of understanding for you to use right now. Listen for Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is Navigating Complicated Relationships with Michaela Gaffin-Stone. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also send an email to Mickey at GaffinStone.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you've been making notes. If you haven't, you can always check out this podcast again on Inspired Choices Network. We're on over 450 platforms. You can listen on Audible, Spotify, iHeartRadio. There are so many ways to get this episode and others. And there are other hosts on the network who are absolutely awesome. So I invite you to check out the whole thing and see what subjects you're interested in. There are podcasts for days. You can listen to us while you're driving and all sorts. Uh, don't watch anything while you're driving, though. Just the road. So, this calculia, what to do. The main thing is between the ages of six and nine seem to be where it's most easy to diagnose. That hopefully will improve and become an earlier thing. But it's, it's still fairly new to diagnose dyscalculia. And I did write out some famous people with dyscalculia, but there are very few. Now, why? It's not because there are a few people with dyscalculia. It's because they don't know. <laughs> it's only been recently put into sort of law that this is something you can be diagnosed with. So the ones I have are Cher, Robbie Williams, Mick Hucknall, all of whom are singers, and then Mary Tyler Moore as an actress. So that's it. That's all I have. So if you've got a child with dyscalculia and they want somebody who's inspiring to look at, you're going to have to dig to find out who that might be because there's just not that many people known. Dyslexia, there's a great deal. But, you know, for dyscalculia, you feel a little bit left out, honestly, because nobody's talking about that. Everybody's very much focused on dyslexia. So if you have a child with either of these conditions, there's so many things you can do. I, rec I do recommend coaching because this is going to help you figure out what behaviors you can encourage, 
which ones are showing you that there's a problem and how to address that problem. What resources to bring in, where the resources might be found. And, and that can be such a huge help. The more resources you get earlier on, the better it is. And wherever you are in the world, we can find something that's going to help. Now, human design can be very useful. Does, does human design show that you have dyslexia or dyscalculia? No, it doesn't. But what it does show is where your strengths are and where your talents are. So the human design body graph tends to show two or three themes. Now, this is something that you won't find it written in a book. It's something that I have found as I'm working with people with human design. There will be a theme of storytelling, for example, and that same person may have a theme of values being a priority. Now, how does that work together? Well, you can interweave values into storytelling, but what do you want to do with that? What does the child want to do with that? Would they like to be a public speaker? Would they, if, you know, if they're not having trouble getting their words in the right way around? Not everybody with dyslexia shows up the same way. And I think that's really important to note as well. So if you have somebody that's great at speaking, but not all that for the reading and writing or the reading, then there's an avenue and you can explore that for your child. Can they do their exams orally, for example, if they have dyslexia? There are the software that you can have, voice to text, so the child can speak and then it, it gets put into text or text to voice where it's read to you. That can be a great way of helping the child get the information. Now, this is not instead of reading and writing per se, it is as well as particularly when the workload is increasing and the child's got so much to work through. Do you really want to make them sit there and pull teeth? Do you really want the child to sit there and feel miserable? Because I can guarantee you that's exactly how they're going to feel. It's, it's so stressful and you become so tight inside when you have to do this subject that you simply don't have access to. When you look around, nobody's understanding that. They just look at you like, what's wrong with you? You can do all the other things. I mean, I've mentioned to you before, I have four degrees and I got them faster than you might think because I'm not stupid, but I can't do math. The two things, or I should say, and I can't do math. You know, those two things, the, the one doesn't mean you can't do the other, but with dyslexia, you might need some different accommodations where some of the stuff that you're working through is read to you. And there is the software for that. So have a look. If you think your child's having struggles in any of these areas, have a look for resources and see what's out there. Find a coach such as me who has a background in behavioral science and understands the difficulties that that child's facing. Work with the human design so that you can see where their strengths are and play to those and really encourage the building of those strengths. Richard Branson has dyslexia and it has not slowed him down. He left school early. School didn't do it for him. And you'll find that happens a lot for adults, young adults, teens with dyslexia or dyscalculia. School's a nightmare. It's not fun. There's no good stories about it. It's a case of they're trying to squish you into a box that you just don't fit in because you're neurodiverse. 
and neurodiversity covers a bunch of things. But when you come under that umbrella, you don't fit in that wretched box of here's your average kid. And frankly, it's time to get rid of that box because, as I mentioned right at the beginning, I don't think I've ever met Joe Average. It's just a point on a bell curve. There you go. I used math. It's a point on a bell curve that doesn't actually exist. So let's think differently about this. Parenting reimagined is a way of approaching how your child's dealing with dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, autism, any of these things, and having a way for them to capitalize on the things they can do so well, work around or with, depending on where they're at, the, the issues that come up for them, and live a really full life to the fullest potential. Why not? As mentioned before, it's a Brené Brown quote, and I, I love it. I'm maybe reversing it, funnily enough, but basically she says that fitting in is the opposite of belonging. And we want our kids to belong, right? A chameleon fits in. A chameleon will change its color to match the background so that it's not remarkable. It doesn't stand out. It's not that it belongs, you just don't notice it. Now, do we really want kids that are neurodiverse to be in that position? As, as somebody who's in that category, I'm going to say no. Let's have a whole lot of standing out, shall we? So I invite you to have a conversation with me on the subject. If this is you or your child or somebody you know, you can always book a call with me and let's have a chat. My website has a booking button. My emails have a booking button. And the website is www.gaffinstone.com. If you want your human design read, that's the place to go. And if you want your child's human design read, we can really play. The interaction between your chart and your child's chart is fascinating. How can we all be really successful with this? That's what I invite you to think about. And I invite you to contact me and let's set up a call and see what we can do. We can at least come up with a strategy for you to move on with, even if you're not coaching. How good is that, right? I will see you next week. I have an amazing guest next week. Don't go away. This is an author and he is incredible. So I will see you on the other side with my author friend and I'll be posting about that soon. Thank you for listening to the Navigating Complicated Relationship Show. Makayla returns Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Mountain, 9 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Until then, remember every relationship is a journey. And with the right tools, you can create stronger, more fulfilling connections.